0: In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Finish the sentence, the Lord works in Mysterious mysterious ways, right. Sometimes I also like to say opposites, but I wanted you to say mysterious ways today. The Lord works in mysterious ways. What does that mean? It means you don't know what's going on. You don't know what he is going to do. And yet, how many of us would love to know what in the world God has in mind for you, for this world, for everything that's going on around us? I mean, after all, hasn't the last two years made us take a step back and think a little bit about things, think about life in general, think about is this some sort of weird, bad dream I cannot wake up from? Oh, yes, but the Lord works in mysterious ways, Surely he has a plan. He has a plan that's going to bless you and be faithful to you and everything else. Luther talks about the fact that when you enter into becoming a Christian and when you focus upon the word of God, there are three things that happen when you enter into studying the word of God. He says you orate or you pray the word of God, which is what we've been doing here today. We speak back to God what He's said in his word. You pray to God. And then he says you meditate on the word of God. You think about what's happening, what God is saying here. And then the third thing that Luther says is, is that God will put you to the test. Ugh. I don't like that. I never liked it when my teacher would walk in into class and say, hey, good morning, we've got a pop quiz. Because I knew all of a sudden now this was not coming as expected. This was something that I knew I should have studied that portion of this class, but I didn't. And the teacher was trying to see exactly where you were at. That's how God works, by the way, in his mysterious ways. It's not that God lays out before you the yellow brick road and that we follow it wherever we go and everything's perfectly laid out and perfectly fine. Did you notice here today in a couple of our different readings, the Israelites had been freed from slavery in Egypt. There was God sending the 10 plagues. There was God parting the Red Sea and they walked on dry ground. There was God in the pillar of fire, and the pillar of cloud. God, 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 everywhere God was revealing himself to them, and now they are in the wilderness, and you've brought us out here to die. We would have been better to die in slavery in Egypt, where at least we had steak and bread to eat, Moses. Where in the world's God in all of this? And did you notice in our reading today how many times God says through Moses and Aaron, I've heard your grumbling, I've heard your complaining, I've heard your whining, and I'll take care of it. I'll be there for you. But it's going to be in mysterious ways. See, we would like to look at this as the complaint department with God. We go in and we register our complaint and bump, 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 God takes care of it. Everything's resolved. There's a refund, whatever it is has been exchanged and it's all good. God says, no, that's not the way it's gonna be. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. My thoughts are deeper, broader, and wider than the way that you think. If you're gonna go from Egypt to the promised land, Point A to point B, it's not that far, but if you look at the map that they had to travel for 40 years, it seems like utter chaos. Last week we heard about how God sent poisonous serpents to bite them and kill them. Today we hear about this. There's nothing to eat. Chapter 17, they say there's no water You've brought us out here again to die of thirst, they say. But God will work in mysterious ways. Have you noticed, maybe, maybe you probably have, we got a lot of problems today. There's a lot of problems in the world. I mean, you guys would like to agree with me. Yeah, yeah, we got problems, Pastor. Yeah. Maybe not just the entire world, but your own life. Maybe your health your finances, whatever it is. How do you handle these problems? Well, we're in church, pastor, so of course we're going to tell you that we pray and we lay this all at the feet of Almighty God and we trust his providential care to take care of this. But deep down in our heart of hearts, what are we saying? Get with the program. Take care of me now. Yesterday would have been even better. Are we placing these hand, uh, these problems truly into the hands of Almighty God through the gift of prayer? Or are we just saving face and making it look like this, but in the end completely getting riled up and paranoid and panicky about all of these things, not looking to what one of the simplest answers was today from the children. God gives us all these things. Yeah, but they don't have a mortgage to pay and car payments and kids to put in college and everything else. We have problems. We have worries. And how do we solve these problems? If the New Testament era had happened today, with the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples might have tried to organize a committee to figure out how to feed these 5,000 hungry people. And then when they had tried everything that they could and failed at it or just gone away, they would have said, well, we, we fed 200. Problem was sort of solved, and maybe next time we have this problem, we'll come up with a better solution. Maybe they would have put together a nice website. Maybe they would have formed a meal train. Maybe they would have started a GoFundMe program Or a crowdsourcing program, crowdfunding program with nice t-shirts made up saying, help feed the 5,000. What is it with us and our problems? We're not really good at solving our problems, are we? Can we solve world hunger? Yes, we actually can. But we're just not really interested in doing it. You know how much food goes to waste that never makes it to people's plates? It just doesn't happen. We've seen this even with our government. As inflation is going on and all of these prices are going up and everything else is happening, what is the government doing? Well, let's just print some more money as if it magically is going to make things better. Does that really help? I'm no financial analyst, but I could tell you, I don't think it will. Why? Why do we do this? Because if things are bad, things are tight financially, it might mean that I have to sacrifice something and maybe not look out for myself and I'm not comfortable with that idea. If it's all up to you and to me to figure out and solve our problems, we are toast, and the world is headed toward destruction. Jesus knows this. He knew that with his disciples. Notice what he did today. He said these things to test his disciples. Where are we going to find enough food to feed all these people? He's not surprised. He's not surprised at all. When he answers the, or asks these questions, And gets these lame brain answers. Did you notice what happened right before this all took place? He had healed the lame and the blind and the sick. He had done all of these marvelous things of body and soul. It wasn't going to see a specialist or an oncologist or a cardiologist or taking certain pills or whatever else it is. He speaks and these things happen. Miraculous healings take place. And now... With 5,000 men, not including the women and children, there's no food. I don't know, what are we going to do? But before you start to dogpile on the disciples or the Israelites, we are no better. You have heaven coming down to you through the word of God, week in and week out here at this place. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, says Jesus, there I am. But what are we going to do? How are we going to solve the problem? Now, there's this idea floating around about this text today that really says it's not really about the miracle of what Jesus does, but it's really about sharing, that the people just kind of had enough. It just needs to be kind of an example. It's kind of compelling, but not really a good point. Some people would even like to say that the Bible is just one big human book about beings being together, stuck in messy situations, and that we're incapable of freeing ourselves, and so God somehow, some way has to help us, but we have to follow his example. The story of humanity, the story of you and me and everybody that's come before us and after us is all about the rise and fall, the success and failure the life and death of us as human beings. Go back a hundred years. Anybody know how the 1920s started off? With a huge bang, there's a roaring 20s, there's dancing in the streets, financial, fiscal strength, there's everything going so well with the bang and the success of the early 1920s. What happens by the end of the 20s? panic, depression, and fear. There is no golden age to return to. And as sad as it is for me to say this today, there is no time that we can go back to the way things used to be. In our world, in our community, and yes, even here in the church. We have faced some insurmountable problems at times, and in many ways, in many situations, we have not known what to do. But through all of this, through all of the problems, God is continuing to call his people back to repentance, to bring them back to life. Just think of the people who had been following Jesus in our reading today. They probably thought this was the best time of their life. We're following this guy who's doing all of this stuff. But then they said later on in the evening, hey, yesterday we weren't hungry, but now we are. They had no idea what was to come. God works in mysterious ways. Philip says, ah, we need 200 days of salary to feed these people, but even then it's probably not enough. Andrew looks at this and says, oh, there's five loaves and two small fish. Eh, that's not even going to feed us as disciples, Jesus. We must admit today that we are helpless and clueless and ambling and stumbling our way through time and even in our lives. Great, what a pick me up, pastor. Great motivation. But it's true. What has happened? We're not in the roaring 20s. We're in the whimpering 20s. We oftentimes feel like the blind leading the blind, the confused and the clueless people trying to help others who are confused and clueless as well. Our leaders are humans, and they can only do so much. On our own, we are completely lost, and we can only dig ourselves in deeper. Jesus sees that. So how are you going to feed the people? He asks in order to test his disciples. But it's only because he knew what he was going to do. Did you catch that? It's not just simply a pop quiz. We pray that the Lord would lead us not in temptation, but out of temptation, which is what Jesus does here. He provides the solution and the answer to temptation of despair, anxiety, cluelessness, and trying to figure out what in the world's going on. Matthew's account of this passage here today says that they are in a utter wilderness, a desolate wilderness. It's not like forests with trees and bushes and everything else. This is dry desert. Nothing is growing. You can't even find plants to eat on the ground. And what does Jesus do today with this problem? He tells them to recline. Literally, lay down. You notice what John says there today? This is no small addition. Matthew says it's a wilderness. John says as they sit down, there was much grass there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. Jesus even makes it nice for them to lay down and relax. Notice what else Jesus does. He doesn't say, hey, no. <laughs> okay, watch this. He gives thanks. He gives thanks for the minuscule five loaves and two small fish. He gives thanks that there's not enough money to buy enough food for all of these people. He gives thanks to Almighty God, as the children said, that he is the one who provides all things. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open up your hand and satisfy the desire of every living creature says the psalmist, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we receive from thy bountiful goodness. And then he distributes the fish and the bread. He doesn't explain how it happens. He just does it. The people thought that yesterday was the best day, that they had something to eat, but today was even a greater day. And so in the midst of all of our chaos, all of our problems, all of our questions, all of our uncertainty about what's going on in the world, simply listen to Jesus today. Sit down. Yes, I know we stand and sit, stand and sit. But you are sitting down today. You're reclining. That's all he wants you to do. That's not going to solve the problem. Yes, it will, because I'm going to work not just in mysterious ways. The Latin term for that word mystery is sacrament. I will work for you in sacramental ways. It sounds like madness. There can't be anything helping us with here today. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, says Jesus, there I am. He simply tells you today to come in, take a load off, calm down. You're going to be okay because whether you want it or not, he is in charge of all things. That is the greatest news that we could ever hear. The world has never been saved through panic or worry. You're not going to save yourself through panic or worry either. Fear not. Your God will come with vengeance because he fights for you because he has called you by name. This is your Lord, who drowns the enemy, the Egyptians, the slave masters, and frees the people of Israel, even in the wilderness, even when they grumbled at him, they complained at him, he hears them. Think about that. Think about that in your life of prayer. It's not, oh God, you are so great, you're so awesome, this is magical, my life is perfect, I just give you thanks and praise, but in your head you're thinking, why is everything falling apart? God would rather have you say, what's going on? Teach us your ways, oh Lord, that we may receive the truth. Jesus follows us into this wilderness of the valley of the shadow of death, and he teaches us here today, and he is the one who hears our grumbling and our cries. He will not let you go hungry. And guess what happens? Because of all that, we put him on the cross Thousands of people were following Jesus as their new Messiah King, and we see that what we do with Jesus is not going to end up well. He's not thrilled about it either, but he goes. He goes as a lamb to the slaughter, innocent and unresisting, restful even, calm and peaceful even as people mock him, beat him, and spit on him. His anger is not turned toward the government. It's not turned toward the leaders of the world, but at those who would rob you of your rest and peace here in the house of God. I was glad when they said to me, We will go to the house of the Lord. So here we are today. Who knows what's going to happen later today? Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? But God will continue to work for you in this wilderness filled with uncertainty and nothing certain but death. Great, you might say. But Jesus over and over again says, come to this house. Calm down and rest. Sit in the grass. Jesus will figure it all out for you because he has answered your biggest problem already and that of death. How does he answer that problem? Through the resurrection, the living and the dying and for the dead, for you, for me. That's what he has baptized you into and it's what he's feeding you with today. His body and his blood, in, with, and under the bread and wine, truly Christ present, Mysteriously, sacramentally feeding you to forgive you of your sins and to strengthen you of your faith to continue on. Here is where the Good Shepherd sets before you a table in the presence of your biggest, baddest, darkest enemies. And he says, Relax. The world will keep flapping and fluttering, all sorts of worries. Sit down with Jesus. Christian worship doesn't make a whole lot of sense to people outside of this place. It looks like we're just sitting here today listening to an overweight bald guy spout stuff at us. And yes, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. God works in mysterious ways. And where Jesus is, there you are also with his forgiveness, his life, and peace. He has triumphed over death through the gruesome nailing of the cross and the glorious resurrection. He has called you by name, even through the light and the dark and the problems and the joy, all of the big mess, promising you that he is your good shepherd to lead you along the paths of still waters and to lead you in the paths for his righteous sake. Where else would we rather be? To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.